the Henry guns, not the Henry rifles, but the Henrichens, right? Yes, the Henrichens should be up here. They would be right here. Yep, here they are. Uh, the reason why I looked at the Arnold is because they're the same Arnold Abracia that he is right there. I almost got to see Arnold Abracia's place there and, and where he pastored at, but we didn't have time. Brother Andrew and I didn't have time to get there. Arnold Abracia, but he was right there. These are Baptist people. They're going to be near the Albigenses, and they're going to be right around this time period right here. Now, they're before this time period, a lot of them were, but the Henricians would be the Albigenses. They would be the other groups of people, the Paulicians, the Arnoldists, the Albigenses, which I would maybe disagree with such a small category for the Albigenses. I, would, I think that they're kind of bigger. They'd be as big as the Paulicians. But some people would speculate and say, and I don't disagree with them, that the Paulicians and all these groups just kind of bleed into one another over here. So the, the Paulicians who, who spanned, look at this, all the way across here, that, that's not inaccurate, okay? That, that is accurate. But uh, the Paulicians, uh, they would, the Donatists, look at it, going into the Paulicians, going, I mean, it's the, it's the trail of blood. That's what it is, right? These are all Baptist people. That's who we would, we call them Baptists today. They called themselves, or they were called by others, Henricians or Arnoldists or Albigenses or the Vaudois, Waldenses. They, they, they would be called those, those different names. But they, are the same, they, they pretty much believe the same things as any one of those. They would be called what we would call the faithful Baptist witness, that we would call them from our, our place. But if I was around that time and... Or if someone said, are you one of those, are you like one of those Albigenses? I would say, yes, we are. If you said, are you like one of those Voudois? Are you like one of those Waldenses? Well, yes. I'm not ashamed to claim them. I hope they're not ashamed to claim me one day, right? When we get to heaven. But the Paulicians, are you like, Paul says he's a Paulician, right, Paul? You're a Paulician. Yeah. And you have some Paulicians here, right? Right? He's got some Paulicians. Uh, they, they, they're Paulicians, right? That's right. So he's got, what's that? Pearsonites. The Pearsonites. Yep, they're not up here, but we'll, we'll just classify them under the Paulicians, right? We'll put them under there. He, he's a Paulician for sure, right? But anyway, these, we would not be ashamed to name our name among any of these, even when they are lied about, just like you are, because you are the same way. Don't be surprised when they lie about you. They can't tell the truth about you. They have to lie. Pastor Hoggard told me that years ago. He said, well, he said, Jason, you have to understand one thing. He said, they can't tell the truth about you, so they have to lie about you. It's just what they have to do. They, they have to lie because they can't tell the truth because the truth indicts them. Oh, same thing with these people, right? They can't tell the truth, so they had to, they had to make them look bad. All right, now we're going to talk about the Henricians today. We're also next week probably going to talk about the Crusades. And the reason why is you, in order for you to understand history at that time, uh, period, and understand what these men were going through and women were going through and children were going through, you have to understand the Papal Crusades because that's going on at the same time. Now, understand this. These people, these people, these people, these people, these people were not a part of those. They looked at those Christians that were going off into the Pope's crusade to save the Holy Land and to kill the Muslims. And to do, they, looked at, they looked at them like, you people got problems. We're called to love our neighbors, ourselves. We're not called to kill people. They would not. They did not join the papal crusades. 
They stood outside of those. They would not go, they would not do that, okay? So understand that, that they did not do that. They were not a part of those groups. And guess what? Neither should you be. And neither should I be. We will not send our children off to go die in the sand and to go fight the papal wars. Right? Or kill brown people. Because that, remember, that's, that is coming. More and more it is coming. We are not of those people. That's not the war I'm in. We're in the war for men's souls. We are not in the war to, to kill men, to force men, or to, or to, or to use the papal, uh, or, or to fight the papes, papal crusades. You've been told a lie about the crusades, by the way. By the way, when you see all these people with their, what is that? Is it the, man, I can't think of the name of that. There's some military thing, and I've seen it. Is it the Marines or something? Some Invictus thing? What is that? What is that? Oh, I can't think of the name of that. Yeah. I No, but that's, they have a badge, and they have, it, they're literally the Papal Crusades. Like, when you see the Red Cross and stuff like that, or the Red Crescent <laughs> over in Southern don't get all warm, don't get the warm fuzzies. Or when you see the the fezes and the and the like yesterday when you saw the when you saw the the red hats right and they have that the Phrygian caps and uh, all that they have those things are not like all of those things are based off the Crusades, all of those things are based off the same thing. They were a war that they ginned up and uh, anyway we'll talk about that next week. But this is going on at the same time the Henricians were the Henricians and the Albigenses and the Arnoldists and Arnold Abracia and all these men were around. This is going on. The Crusades are going on. Protest there were no classifications as Protestant. You were either the Catholics or you were these people. You get that? You were you were Catholics or you were these people. You there was no like Lutherans and all that. You were Catholics or you were those Paulicians, Arnoldists, Albigenses, Henricians, Waldenses. That's who you were. You weren't anything else. Now you have like 20 teams of all these things going on and Protestant, but you got to think pre-Reformation before those things happen, right? And Baptists never fared well. Even when, even when these people when Luther would rise and these other people would rise and Knox and Zwingli and all these other men would rise, Baptists just got another enemy. They just got another group of people that wanted to kill them, that had power to do it by the power of the state. That's, that's just, that's what happened. I mean, so remember, our kingdom is not of this world. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my... Then would my, my, my people fight? Then would they fight, right? Right. All right. So, Brother Beller, in, in the Collegiate Baptist History Workbook, he mentions the Henricians here. This is around that same time. We'll talk about the Crusades next week, uh, Lord willing. The Henricians, Henry was a monk of Clugny, preached against the sins of the clergy, as we have seen. Clugny was a city that was known for its purity of doctrine and practice. It is not a surprise that Henry should come forth from that place in 1116, Henry entered the city of Mans on the first day of Lent.
He preached for weeks against the worship of saints. Okay, so let's stop there for a second. What did he preach against? The worship of saints. Why? They venerated the saints. They worshiped the saints. They prayed to the saints for help. So being the Bible-believing, baptized believers, the Baptist that he was, the Bible-believer that he was, then you don't pray to saints. Right? He stood against that. He preached for weeks against it. He didn't just talk about it once in a while. He preached about it. You know what makes people mad? Not that you hold your little stands in your churches that nobody ever knows about. It's when you go out and preach on it. That's when they get mad. They ain't banging down the door yet. Right? For what we believe. We take what we believe from the scriptures to them. And what happens? They get mad. Why? Well, why ain't they mad at like all these other big box churches? All these IFB churches. How come they're not mad at them? Because they don't go out there and tell them that they're wrong. Right? They don't stand outside. So you think it's weird that we're going to go down February, whatever, 11th on Super Bowl Sunday, right? Uh, that's probably going to be some, some big high day for Baptists in, in their churches. They're going to like give free footballs out or something. Probably. I don't know. Anyway, maybe so. But uh, anyway, right? But you think it's weird that, well, pastor, you're going to go down there and you guys are going to all go down and you're going to preach outside of that religious event that these Lutherans are put that these homo Lutherans are putting on and you're going to preach outside of there and you're going to, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. But that's not new. Like I didn't invent that. It's from the scriptures, right? And then these guys, they did it too. They just started preaching. They just stood up and started preaching against these things. He preached for weeks against the worship of saints. Guess what else? Infant baptism. You know what we need to remember to keep preaching against when we're out there on the streets? Infant baptism. We need to bring it up almost every time. Why? Because we live in Catholic Lutheran country. They need to hear that their infant baptism is the badge of Antichrist. Right, and their fake Holy Spirit baptism. Right. Right? They need to know that. They do, don't they? Guess what else he preached against? Work salvation. Amen. And the corruption of the clergy. Well, what happened? Well, he's preaching to these, these religious people that were, some of them were saved, right? And they needed to get right with God. Like, was it Lee that said that? I think it was you that said that yesterday. We we're out there. We're not just out here for, Lisa, we're not just out here for lost people. We're out here to revive the backslider, right? To be used of God to preach to the person that's backslidden. And he said, I wish when I was backslidden that there would have been people outside these, these bars and these establishments preaching to, preaching to me when I walked in one of those. I wish they would have been there warning me and calling me out and telling me, if you're a Christian, why are you going in there? Like, they, they're so surprised that we say that stuff. They're like, if you're a Christian, why are you doing this? I'm not talking about just a parade or whatever, but I'm talking about the bar, the liquor, the drinking, the booze, the partying, right? The, the concerts. Right? Why are you doing that? So what happened? Revival broke out. He preached with the same results in different towns across Europe. He was imprisoned there, but escaped. 
He was arrested at Reims and imprisoned for life. Uh, William Cathcart wrote, and w William Cathcart wrote a two-volume set. They're biographies of Baptists, and you should get it if you, if you like to read and you like to know things about that. Uh, the Encyclopedia of Baptists, it's called. And uh, anyway, Brother Beller records here uh, William, what William Cathcart wrote. Henry, a monk in the first half of the 12th century, became a great preacher. He was in Now, when he says monk, he doesn't mean monk like you've seen monk. All right? Right, Lee? He's not talking about a Catholic monk. He's talking about one that was set aside and set apart to walk with God. And in that day and age, <laughs> just like now, but it, it wasn't the It's not a Roman Catholic monk like you would think. Like you've, you've heard of the, the different orders of monks in the Catholic. That's not what he was. But that's what they called them at that point, those men. Not the same thing, though. Different in that sense. Very different. Uh, he was a monk in the first half of the 12th century, be became a great preacher. He was endowed with extraordinary powers of persuasion and with a glowing earnestness that swept away the greatest obstacles that mere human power could banish. He had the grace of God in his heart. He denounced prayers for the dead, the invocation of saints, the vices of the clergy, the superstitions of the church, and the licentiousness of the age. And he set an example of the sternest morality. He visited the city of Mans. The inferior clergy became his followers. And the people gave him and his doctrine their hearts. And they refused to attend the consecrated mummeries of the popish churches. And mocked the higher clergy who clung to them. In fact, their lives were endangered by the triumph of Henry's doctrines. The rich and the poor gave him their confidence and their money. And when Hildebrandt, <laughs> Hildebert, sorry, not Brandt, Hildebert, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oops. <laughs> Hildebert. <laughs> Ah, their bishop returned after an absence covering the entire period of Henry's visit. He was received with contempt and his blessings with ridicule. Henry's great arsenal was the Bible and all opposition melted away before it. So in other words, this Catholic priest came back and when he came back, all these people were converted. And he came back and he tried to, he tried to give the blessing to the people and, tried, and they were like, you're a fake. Right? Because they were truly born-again people. And they said, no, you're just a phony. You're not even real. And that made him mad and angry. And what's going to happen when people like that get mad and angry? Well, of course, somebody's going to die, right? Somebody's got to die, right? Of course, Somebody's got to die. He retired from man's and went to province. And the same remarkable results attended his ministry. Persons of all ranks received his blessed doctrines and forsook the foolish superstitions of Rome and the churches in which they occupied. The most important positions. At and around Toulouse, his labors seemed to have created the greatest indignation and alarm among the few faithful friends of Romanism and Catholics in the most distant parts of France heard of his overwhelming influence and his triumphant heresy with great fear. Now, understand, they're labeling him a heretic. Why? Because he's preaching the gospel. So you, Rome calls the gospel heresy, right? 
That's why you have to watch it when Rome ever calls people a heretic. You really have to study what those people believe. Because they like to call them a heretic so they can marginalize them. Just like some of the Puritans did. They want to marginalize those people. So they say, oh, they're a bunch of heretics. Why? Well, they believe in believers' baptism or reject infant baptism. Well, they ought to be killed for that, of course. Right? Right? Give them a bad name, right? That's right. That's what they did. That's how they killed them. They would, they would, they would demonize them so they could kill them. They would dehumanize them. What are they doing today? They're going to dehumanize people so you, it's easier to kill them. That's, I'm telling you, that's the spirit of Antichrist. That's what it is, right? Um, anyway. So, in every direction for many miles around, he preached Christ. And at last, Pope Eugene III, nice fella, sent a cardinal to overthrow the heretic in his errors. He wisely took within him, in 1147, the celebrated St. Bernard, not the dog, but... He didn't take a St. Bernard dog with him, but he took St. Bernard. Maybe that's who the dog's named after. Rightly so. Um, but uh, anyway, he took him, and he was a celebrated man. I mean, he was actually, for a Roman Catholic, he was actually a better Roman Catholic as far as Roman Catholics go, which means what? He was still lost. But he sounded better than the other Roman Catholics. And then he really hated the guy that, real, that was real. Do you understand that? So Rome will have men that they will send out like that that will that will seem real, that will seem like they're solid men. But compared to the real men, they're not. The real men of God that follow the scriptures. So they'll get angry at those real men, and they'll, of course, want to kill them. Because that's, I mean, they can't defeat Bible doctrine, so what do they think? Well, kill them. Then it'll be over. But it never is over, is it? But they think that that's the way to stop it, is if they just kill them. Right? This abbot had the earnestness and the temper of Richard Baxter, whom he resembled in some respects. He was a more eloquent man, and he was probably the most noted and popular ecclesiastic in Europe. He, St. Bernard, speaks significantly for the state of things which he found in Henry's field. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of read this a couple times in different accounts. It's going to be similar, but that's okay. It kind of drives the point home of the recording of who Henry is. But listen to what they accused him of. This is what they said about the field that Henry worked in. So, in other words, the cities that he had preached in, uh, what happened when, when Henry preached, this is what he said. The churches, he's talking about the Catholic churches, all right? The Catholic churches are without people. The people without priests. The priests without due reverence. And in short, Christians are without Christ. The churches were regarded as synagogues. The sanctuary of God was not held to be sacred. And the sacraments were not rec reckoned to be holy. Festive days lost their solemnity. Men died in their sins. Souls were snatched away everywhere to the dreaded tribunal. Well, what's he saying there? Here's what he's saying. People got saved by the grace of God, left the Catholic Church, deserted them. The priests had nobody to pastor. The priests were broke. They had no money because people actually got saved and didn't believe their garbage anymore. And they had the scriptures. So for Rome, that's devastating. Why? Because their little control over people has ended. Right? The dark ages has ended and the true light now shines. Those people are saved and they're not controlled by the priests any longer. They're not controlled by the Roman Catholic Church. What did they say when they were without Christ? What did they mean? The Eucharist. They're without the cookie God. Why are the children so damned? 
because they're not infant baptizing the children. You have to decipher, you have to like, you need, you need a Baptist to decipher what the Catholic is actually saying. Because right. what he's saying is they reject my little cookie God, they're rejecting my witchcraft, I'm no longer the head sorcerer, and it's just not, my, my mojo's not working anymore. Yep. That's, that's what they're saying. Right? Do you get it? Right. I ain't, get, I, ain't getting, I ain't getting paid. No more money. That is what they're saying, right? Listen, listen, it gets worse. Don't you like it? That's how you decipher Roman Catholicism. Okay, he says, Alas, neither reconciled by repentance nor fortified by the communion. Cookie God. They're not ingesting Jesus. They're not drinking Jesus' blood. They're not ingesting the cookie. That's, that's what he's saying. Because remember... You have to define things the way Roman Catholics do. That's what they mean when, you know, they forsake the, the sacraments and salvation. It means you're not baptizing your infants. That's, that's what they mean by that. Anyway, so he goes on to say, The life of Christ was closed to the little children of Christians, whilst the grace of baptism was refused. Nor were they permitted to approach salvation, although the Savior lovingly proclaims before them and says, Suffer the little children to come to me. End quote. What is he saying? They're not coming to the baptismal font. Because they believe that giving children Christ is for me to take Silas and have some perverted priest in a girl's outfit, come up with his little, with his little wizard outfit on, right, and, and baptize my child because they say that's giving my child Christ. Well, when Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about coming to Christ and preaching the gospel to children, not, not forbidding them to hear the gospel. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about baptizing them. He's talking about sprinkling them. That's what he means when he says they were forbidden. So, so what, do you, what, what are they doing here? Well, they're marginalizing these people. He's saying, well, they're a bunch of devil-possessed people that won't let their children come to Christ. So what we should do is cut their heads off and take their children. You think I'm exaggerating. I just plainly told you what Rome does and what they would do now if they had control. Right? That's what they mean. They're, reject, they're not allowing their children to come to Christ. That's the charge, right? Every, every time they killed a Baptist, they would say, and they rejected Christ for their children and would not let their children come to Christ. That's, well, we're, they're doing that. It's the opposite, but that's what witches do. That's how they talk. That's how sorcerers talk. That's, that's what they do. And remember, the popes, are the, they're, the, they're the real sorcerers. In every age, they're the real one. They're the head of the mysteries. Right? They're, they're, they're right up there. Okay. Elsewhere, St. Bernard, not the dog, but resembling one, speaking of Henry and other heretics, says, they mock us because we baptize infants, because we pray for the dead, and because we seek the aid of glorified saints. End quote. Well, yes, we do. I mean, I do. Thou hast well said. And I'm just glad to know that in history, I'm not the only one that did that. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a pattern of our Baptist brethren all through that were like, man, you guys really pray to dead people? 
you really baptize babies? Like Spurgeon said, we don't wet babies. Babies wet themselves. <laughs> right? And he said it's treason. It's antichrist. Infant baptism is the badge of antichrist. It's treason to God. Okay. That Henry had a great multitude of adherents is beyond doubt. And that he was a Bible Christian is absolutely certain. And that he and his followers rejected infant baptism is the testimony of St. Bernard. And of all other writers who have taken notice of the Henricians and their founders, we include to the, opi to the opinion of Neander that Henry was not a Petrobrugian. We are satisfied that he and his disciples were independent witnesses for Jesus, raised up by Baptists, and their founder perished in prison, which we're going to talk about here uh, a little bit more. We'll, we'll cover a few different books that cover. That was Brother Beller's uh, covering of, of the... Uh, of the Henricians, okay? And uh, Orchard, which by the way, Orchard's book is a very good book. It's a very simple book, but Orchard in his history is super easy. That's a cheap book. It's, they're like $10. They're, I, maybe they're, you know, a little bit more now. I don't know, but they're not much more. And um, Orchard covers a lot of good history in his book, and he makes it very readable and very easy to understand. Uh, so I, I definitely recommend Orchard's uh, Baptist history. It's, it's good. Uh, about the year 1110, this is uh, Peter de Bruce. Uh Let's see, we'll get to the Henricians here. There they are. Let's see what he's... Okay, from the zeal and assiduity of Gundolfalus and Arnold in Italy. So you have the Arnoldist, you have, and you have the Henricians, which were like right there next to each other. I mean, they were, they were preaching right like alongside of each other. Then you have the Waldenses. You have all these. Waldo is going to come on the scene. Uh, and uh, yeah, not where's Waldo, but, but uh, Waldo is not the original Waldense. Okay. He's a popular leader. Peter Waldo was, but he's not the originator of the Waldenses. The Waldenses, the Vaudois claim their heritage back to 130 AD, where they got their, where the preachers came from Antioch and preached the gospel to them. They had the scriptures translated in the Syrian, and they took that with them to the valleys of Piedmont, which Paul, we know that Paul preached all over Italy, and his men preached all over Italy. We know that. For a fact, they sailed through there. We know that, that that happened, and we see that in the scriptures that they were there. So they say their claim is to 130, and they, they hold to that, and they, they, they don't let anybody talk them out of that. They never did. All the way through history, they never let them talk them out of this. And we, we were before these guys. We were before the papacy. When, uh, and they, they, they were very clear about that, that they, they existed before the papacy ever existed. And so they, they uh, maintain their independence. And again, remember, uh, four, in 400 A.D., um, Jerome is going to bring his Latin Vulgate out somewhere around 400 AD, and he's going to try to get them to he's going to try to get them to give up their old Latin Italia Biblia for the for Jerome's uh, Latin Vulgate, and they said no. <laughs> they said we have the scriptures, and you're not taking them from us. We're not going to take your Roman Catholic scriptures falsely so-called, right? They weren't. So they, they rejected it. They rejected Origen's writings. They rejected Jerome's writings. In fact, when Luther and others, and even uh, down to the King James translators, they had manuscripts from the Italia Biblia. 
They, they, they use those. So anyway, uh, that's, that's a miracle in itself, isn't it? But where you find God's word, you find God's people. Amen. That's just the truth, right? They go hand in hand. Thank God for that. They were in different kingdoms known by different names. Uh, you have Henry in France, uh, Peter de Bruce, Henry in France, followers of the disciples of these reformers, became sufficiently numerous to excite alarm in the Catholic Church before Waldo of Lyons appeared as a reformer. They were in different kingdoms known by different names and are supposed at this period to have amounted to 800,000 in profession. The success of these reformers may... Now, remember, when I say reformers, I'm not talking about Protestant Reformation, Luther and post... I'm talking about before that. Because these Baptist people, they were, they were reformers before it was cool. Okay? <laughs> they were the real... That's why... Uh, John Adams uh, wrote a book called Baptist the True Reformers. They, they, were, they were reformers before. I mean, they, they, like they weren't part of the Catholic Church, but they meant what they meant was they were reforming the, the false doctrine that is out there. They broke free from that long before that. You don't hear their story much, though, do you? They're not talked about that much. Wiley will talk about some of these groups as an honest man in his... Uh, history of Protestantism, he will go back before, right? Because what he's saying is the general sense of protesting Rome, right? And we've always protested Rome. I mean, and it, that monstrosity, right? But we did it before the official Luther's Protestant Reformation, right? Long before. Spurgeon said that in his writing, long before your Protestants. He said that is, I have that quote in Baptist, um, the, the video that I did a few years ago, actually seven years ago now, but anyway, it's in there, and I, that quote is in there. The success of these reformers may suggest the inquiry how they gained so firm a footing in so dark a period and in the face of all opposing powers. We know they, like the Paulicians, went forth, regulated by the precepts of the promises of the New Testament and with a simple and humble dependence on the spirit of truth for direction and support. They're living together in large mansions in social and brotherly compact that enabled them to carry on their secular work and religious duties unobserved. In all those associations, their great object was the promotion of undefiled religion. They're very assiduous to their callings and all their leisure hours being spent either in the instruction of youth or about necessary things. We were just talking about this with the guys last night. People don't read enough. They don't, they don't read. What are they, they're, they're spending their days reading and instructing youth and teaching them and preparing them to fight that antichrist spirit that is out there. And that's what we have to do. Because we're in those same times. Amen. The ministers, for they had regular secessions of elders, says Alex, who, who wrote the, um, the, the, uh, the work on the Voudois and on the Albigenses tells the history of the Albigenses, which you're going to find that the Henricians and the Albigenses are right there. I mean, they're, they're going to be, he's going to write about Henry and he's going to basically uh, connect those two together. Uh, amen. Uh, let's see. He says here that who emanated from these colleges or churches, that's what they call them, same, it was a church, did not content themselves in exhorting their hearers on the Sabbath days, but went all the week to instruct the people in the neighborhood preaching also in the fields to the keepers of flocks. They considered, wait, you mean these guys were crazy and they went outside and they went, don't you know that people don't do that stuff? You're turning people away. It's not effective. I don't know what they were thinking. 
I think it's, unless they got that from the Bible, huh? They just didn't care what anybody thought. They just did it. But went out all the week to instruct the people in the neighborhood, preaching also in the fields of the keepers of flocks. They considered every Christian as in certain measure qualified and authorized to instruct, exhort, and confirm the brethren in their Christian course. And that's true. Uh, we do the same thing here. I believe, I mean, there's an appropriateness to it, right? We don't have women preachers and things like that. But you women have a duty. You have a work to do. You preach the gospel to your children. You share it with them. You teach them. You, other ladies, right? You instruct. You teach. You help. You do those, those. That's the whole church is involved, right? We we believe that. Now there's a proper station for all that in place. You know, women aren't preaching in the assembly and doing all. But they're help. They're 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 giving the gospel to their children. They're instructing them. They're preparing them. Everybody's involved. There's men here, maybe you don't lift up your voice as a trumpet on the street, but you're tracting, you're talking to people when they come up to us, and you're, 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 you're having conversation. We're all involved. Amen. That's what they did. That's the same thing they did. Amen. All orders of teachers were to resemble exactly the apostles of our Savior and be like them. Uh, poor and throw their possessions into a fund for the support of the sick while the healthy were to pursue some trades to gain a daily substance. So there were some people that they, had, they worked and they had trades and they did. There were others that didn't, right? It depended. And they, and they took care of the poor among them and they were, they were good to them, right? Which is what we do, right? We take care of somebody has a need. What do we do? We help them, don't we? That's, that's biblical Christianity, right? We all work together. That's what we do. We're not... Uh, we're not an island unto ourselves. What we do matters. How we treat each other matters. The fact that you go to work every day matters. The fact that you're faithful in your job and you labor and you go through there and you, you it matters. Amen. It's important, right? To effect the greater good, many of them led a wandering life throughout the various provinces of Europe and such itinerants realized considerable success in gaining the affections of the multitude. So they traveled throughout Europe and preached. You gotta understand the times they lived in too, man. It was, whew, it was bad. I mean, dark ages. We think it's dark, but we have the right to, you know, we we have the liberty, I should say, to open up the Bible and do the thing. Man, whew, don't take it for granted, amen. They were faithful people, while some in their travels were called to martyrdom. Sometimes they realized a considerable success in gaining the affections of the multitude, while some in their travels were called the martyrdom. What does that mean? Some of them went out and preached in. People got saved and loved them. Others, they went on to their death when they preached. People hated them and killed them. They, they, the guys that they loved must have did it right, and the guys that killed them, they must have did it wrong. Sound right? They did it right. They loved them. They let them go. They loved them. Right? No. It's a, some people are going to get saved, and some people are going to. What did Paul say? To some, we are the savor of life unto life, and to others, the death unto death. Right? You, you, that's, that's just the way it is, right? That's, amen. That's Bible. That's the way it is. Various colonies were sent out from these old interests, particularly from Italy, who spread like an inundated inundation through all the European provinces. They consequently formed in different parts of vast numbers of religious assemblies, churches, whose discipline and officers were the same as found in the primitive church. What well, pastors, deacons, preachers, teachers. Amen. 
I, I'm going to tell you, you, some of you, if you've been to other churches then and you've been a part of it, you know that like when the pastor's gone, like they, they call in a special preacher to do all this stuff and to do all those like that, right? And that they can't, I, I'm not doing that. Right. Yeah, the deacon's sister, like Paul. But they have to, right. Stand up and preach. There ain't a man among you. I better, look, I will consider myself an absolute failure as a pastor. If I couldn't, if I, if I was gone, if I had to go or if something happened like that, and I didn't have a man among you to stand up and preach, what have I been doing for years? That's like the least of my concerns. Amen. We have men that will stand up and preach. Right? What's that? Right. Yeah. Anatomy lesson. Yeah. That's Garrick's favorite preacher. He had a missionary stand up and give him an anatomy lesson for 45 minutes. Give me a break. <laughs> Unless you're preaching on two genders and you're actually explaining that might be good, but no. But honestly, really? No, I I I I'm not doing that. I'm not I I we have men here, right? Men are supposed to preach. Amen. That's the way it goes. They may not pastor, but they could sure preach. Right? Why wouldn't they? Amen. Like what in the world? I I I, I don't like that. <laughs> it just bothers me. Or pastors pass off the scene, and there's nobody in the church among them that can rise up and that their brethren would vote. You got to go outside of this church. I hope not. Oh Lord, please help us that we haven't done our work for all those years. That if I drop dead, that there wouldn't be a man or men that could rise up and hold the fort right until. God leads you to call a pastor, right? Amen. I mean, really? What are you doing? What are, what would I be doing? It's just I I I ah. It just that stuff. It's fundamentalism. It bothers. I I hate it. I I hate that. What's that? Oh uh, yeah, new board member, new CEO. Congratulations. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. No, it is yuck. It is yuck. Amen. Anyway, so they what did they do? They started churches. That's what he's telling you. The success in number of dissidents with the desolated state of the Catholic community prior to the lion, lioness reformer, lionese reformer, uh, are admirably shown by Dr. Alex in his remarks at the ancient churches of the Albigenses, which we have. I can show you later. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. If we allow 800,000 persons to profess the Berengarian faith and allow to each professor the three adherents, these two numbers, 800,000 and 2.4 million, make 3.2 million persons holding evangelical views. But if we allow infants to share in this calculation, it is once lowers to the credit of the evangelical party and places them in a practice on level with the Catholic Church, while it would leave them sadly behind in enumeration. But there is no proof of pedobaptism at this time out of the Roman and Grecian hierarchies while these professors were of the Bengarian class holding only believers' baptism. 
So he's going on, he's just explaining some of the differences here with, with those groups there. Uh, and anyway, so we're going to move on to the next, uh, the next person here on the list here, which is, uh, that talks about, he goes into a little bit more depth uh, about Henry, and this is uh, Cramp, Cramp's history. Uh, he says, I have again to complain of the paucity of materials for our history. One of the things that Baptists lament is the fact that their history has been destroyed in a lot of ways. And they're, they, like, these guys would, they would love to have sermons of these men and be able to read them, right? And just watch their, be able to read their battles that they had with Antichrist and be, like, encouraged by it and be like, but they burned them. They, they burned them. That they would come in, burn their materials. They stole them. They burned them. They, they hid them in the Vatican vault down there along with every other weird thing that they could possibly think of. They, they would get rid of them. Why? Because they're powerful. And they didn't want them. And the only thing God promised perpetuity to was his word, right? And his church. Not, not to my writings and my sermons. So uh, it's just God gives perpetuity to his word. He promised he would preserve his word. And he promised his words. And he promised he would preserve his church. Everything else... We don't have that promise from God, amen, on that particular thing. And the souls of men, he promised he'd preserve them too, amen, those that are saved. But he says, I have again to complain about that. The little that is known of Henry excites an earnest desire for fuller information. But for even that little, we are obliged to be dependent on the reports of enemies whose trustworthiness can, cannot be relied on. They were apt at defamation. So they always were looking a way to defame these Baptists. Like now, right? Henry was a monk at an intimate and an inmate of the monastery of Clugny, a town of about 46 miles from Lyons in France. The seclusion and inactivity of that mode of life ill comported with his fervent spirit. What did he have to do? He had to leave the monastery, right? Why? Because he was actually saved. So uh, those monks weren't wicked men. These monks were people that loved the Lord, right? But Henry was like, I can't stay here. I got to go preach. Why? Well, he's saved. He's a Christian. He was a firebrand that God had raised up. And what is he going to do? He's going to leave. He's going to get out of there. He's like, I can't close myself off. Kind of like, think about it this way. He's like, I can't just live in this like closed Amish or community, right? Not get out and preach and, and, and get out and give the word to people and, and tell them how they can be saved, right? It was burning in his, it was burning in him. You know what, it is, what that's like, right? When you guys, you're burning in you. You gotta, you gotta tell somebody. You gotta preach. You just have to, amen. That's what he was like. That seclusion and inactivity wasn't working. He had to get out there and preach, and God used him. He felt a consciousness of power and longed to do something for the cause of God. Being eminently gifted as a public speaker, he engaged in a preaching itinerary. He commenced his labors in Le Swan in, in Switzerland about the year 1116 and thence proceeded to the south of France. His efforts were directed to the reformation of manners and morals. He declaimed against the vices of the clergy and the general dissoluteness that prevailed. And he preached so eloquently that all classes bowed beneath his rebukes, great numbers confessing their sins and entering upon a course of reform. At Mans, where, where while the bishop was absent at Rome, he was permitted to occupy the cathedral. Boy, that was a mistake. <laughs> they let him in there. He's like, oh, you, you let me go preach in that Catholic cathedral? I'll go in there and preach. That's what he did. His influence over the people became so powerful that when the bishop returned, they refused to receive the bishop and clamorously declared that they would adhere to Henry. <laughs> we want that guy. Get out of here. That's right. That's right. That's what they said. 
Hildebert, Hildebert, sorry. However, that was the bishop's name, managed the affair with discretion. And Henry chose another field. Henry's like, I better get out of here. They're going to kill me. So he repaired to the district where Peter of De Bruce was pre had preached and entered into his labors. By this time, his own views were greatly enlarged. From opposing vice, he proceeded to attack error. A treatise which he published and which unfortunately is now extant contained a full exposition of his sentiments. It is said that on some points he went farther than Peter de Bruce, but, but what, they were, what they were is not stated. This is certain that he fully agreed with him on the subject of baptism and that those who received the truth were formed into apostolic societies, or as we would say, churches. Amen. Why'd they say apostolic? Because... The churches that these people knew, that the, that the Roman Catholics knew, were Roman Catholic garbage. So he called them apostolic societies. There's these churches, biblical, just New Testament churches. That was her. By the way, it's like people that, when they're not used to a church like this, and they come from the world's churches, and they come here, everything's like, wow. That's different. Right? They, they don't know how to take that. They're, they're not accustomed to that. They're not used to that. Why? Because we try to be a New Testament church. Amen? We try to model ourselves after the New Testament. That was unheard of. His success alarmed the church dignitaries. Now, when I say church dignitaries, it always means Catholic. All right? So when you hear the church like that, that's Catholic. That's what it is. Alarmed the church dignitaries of the country who procured his arrest. Naturally. I mean, <laughs> that guy in jail. He was condemned by the Council of Pisa in the year 1134, and sentenced to confinement in a monastery. Having obtained his liberty after a short imprisonment, what did he do? He ran away and got away from it and never preached again, right? So they wouldn't kill him. Nope. He resumed the work of preaching. Right after he got out of prison, he started preaching. And for 10 years, the city of Toulouse and Albi, Albi and the district in which they are situated enjoyed the benefit of his exertions. Astonishing results followed. Many nobles sanctioned and protected him. What happened? Those noble people in the area, the wealthy people, they got saved and they were like, well, we're going to protect you. Why? Because he was a Christian. They got saved. They're like, we're not going to let them kill this guy. He's not doing anything. He's not harming anyone except the devil and his kingdom. Right? So they, they hit him. They protected him. Multitudes were added to the churches. And as in the times of the apostles, a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. What happened? Uh-oh. He preached, and the Catholic priests that were around him got saved. What happened? They started operating their churches as New Testament churches. Uh-oh. Who's going to hear about that? El Papa. Old Papa Eugene is not going to be happy. Eugene, he's not going to be happy. That's right, Eugene. That's right. Like Francis! There you go. Now you got it. Good. You remember that. Astonishing results followed. Uh, let's see. A great company of the priests were beating the faith. The celebrated Bernard, not the, not the dog, but similar to one, of, of Clairvoy, says in a letter to noblemen, the churches are without flocks. You heard this, the flocks without priests. The priests are nowhere treated with due reverence. You mean they didn't lick their boots and bow down and kiss their pinky finger? 
No. Because they're a bunch of they're a bunch of apostates. Perverted apostates that robbed the people, stole from them, lied to them, controlled them through the Eucharist and through the communion and through the control and, and had them praying to saints and relics and idols and everything else. Well, wouldn't you get a little mad and upset if you found out, oh, wow, this guy's been lying to me the whole time. This isn't scriptural, what we've been doing. What would it give you? A zeal against it. Well, that's why he said they didn't respect him, because they didn't. They told him to hit the bricks, get out of here. Go away, loser. Right? The priests are nowhere treated with due reverence. The churches are leveled down to synagogues. The sacraments are not esteemed holy. Well, because they're not. They weren't holy. The festivals are no longer celebrated. What? They quit celebrating Christmas? Well, Merry Christmas. <laughs> right? That's the fest you know that's the festivals they're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The festivals are no longer celebrated. And he states in one of his sermons that women forsake their husbands and husbands their wives and run over to this sect. And that clergymen and priests desert their communities and churches. Translation. Women got saved, started going to church. Husbands got saved, started going to biblical churches. Right? The clergymen and the priests that deserted their communities and churches, no, they deserted the Catholic buildings and they started new churches. <laughs> they let them have their relics and their buildings and their stuff and they just preached and taught and started churches. And that clergymen and priests desert their communities and churches, stripping these expressions of their Romish meanings, says one. The facts of the case clearly show themselves. Had Henry been the historian, he would have said it like this. God has blessed this work. Priests and people have received the gospel. True churches are now formed. Christian ordinances have supplanted the old superstitions and the commands of Christ and his alone are obeyed. That's a Baptist translation of what happened. Amen. Right. Well, that doesn't go well. So who's going to get involved? Pope Eugenius. Not a genius. <laughs> Pope Eugenius heard of it and sent Cardinal Alberic. He sounds like a mean guy with a big red hat. Accompanied by Bernard the dog to quash the movement. Bernard was reverenced as a great saint and was accustomed to carry everything before him. I don't know what that means, but, but the Henricians knew scripture. Uh-oh. So what did they have? He carried everything with them, and they carried their scriptures. <laughs> and the Henricians knew scripture as well, and probably better than he did, and quoted it against him with great effect. Bernard met with poor success, but when preaching failed, force was employed. Henry was again seized. A council held at Reims in the year 1148 condemned him and ended his days in prison. Samson, the Archbishop of Reims, disapproved of shedding blood for the faith, and so the perpetual dungeon was substituted for the stake. Henry languished in solitude and privation. They put him on a meager diet. What does that mean? They starved him. They put him in prison, and they weren't... The, the bishop, well, I'm not allowed to kill anybody, so I'll just starve him to death, and he'll die on his own. 
wait, you killed him, you starved him. Oh no. No, I didn't chop his head off, I didn't burn him at the stake, I didn't stab him through the sword. I just starved him to death. Amen. Hildebert, the Bishop of Man, styled Henry, he said this. He said this about him, he didn't like him. He said, a great snare of the devil and a celebrated champion of Antichrist, end quote. Well, that's the opposite, isn't it? Because he preached Christ, and Hildebert there preached Antichrist. These expressions are significant of extensive influence. See, what were they? They were jealous. They, they were jealous because Henry was a biblical preacher, and he had the heart of those people because they saw that he loved the Lord. And like the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And they did. And they loved him. And they didn't love the Catholic priests because they were phonies. And they were murdering dogs. And Bernard was a fake. And he proved to be a fake. Right? Right. Yep. Right? That's the way it goes. Okay, and indeed it appears that his sentiments spread not only in Languedoc, where he chiefly labored, but in other parts of France. It is probable that his disciples traveled into Germany and propagated the same gospel there. So, so what he's saying is Henry would have, his disciples would have went into Germany and preached the gospel. What is that preparing the ground for? Hundreds of years before Luther would come on the scene of those other men, right? That those men were there preaching. Wall says in his History of Infant Baptism that Peter of Bruce and Henry were the first anti-Pedo-Baptist preachers that ever set up a church or society of men holding that opinion against infant baptism and re-baptizing re such as had been baptized in infancy. That's a lie. That's <laughs> just a lie. But he said it because he's a Pedo-Baptist. That's why he said that. I, did, I do not admit the correctness of Mr. Wall's statements because those churches can be traced a great way farther back. I was about to say that we could trace their history as far back as the year 31 when the first church was formed at Jerusalem. But Mr. Wall's epithet, the anti-Pedo-Baptist, stands in the way. That church was not an anti-Pedo-Baptist church because Pedo-Baptists had not then appeared in the world. Infant baptism was then unknown. Mr. Wall, however, grants that there were Baptists, or as he calls them, anti Medo-Baptist churches in the 12th century. That is so far good. Some persons in these times wish to ignore all this and make us start from the 16th century. Like the, um, what's the name, what was his name? Uh, the Witset theory. Witset. Oh, they started after the Reformation. Man, that is a terrible thing to take Baptist money and lie like he did. But he, he got paid handsomely to do it, didn't he? And he trained a whole generations of people to believe that Baptists were post-Reformation. Well, that's just stupid. Like, you're not even a good... I mean, you're actually a professor. You're a historian. You were actually a professor at a Southern Baptist convention university. And you, you actually... You're, you're trying to convince people. Like, have you ever read a book before? Have you ever read a history book before? Because I could take secular writings of people almost and prove that there were, that, that but more than that, I can go back to the New Testament of what baptism is and then take it from there right. and find examples of believers' baptism all through history. Right. 
they're just dishonest. They're liars. It is much to be regretted that we are not furnished with any particulars respecting the order of worship or the mode of church government adopted by Peter de Bruce and Henry. There could be no doubt that the plainness and simplicity characterized the whole and that there was a rigid adherence to the laws of the New Testament. They called Jesus Master and Lord. They rendered obedience to his commandments as interpreted and exemplified by the apostles and were so scrupulously conscientious in this respect that the title apostles distinguished them from others. See, they, they used that as a, they were chiding them. Why? Because they were of their apostolic faith. And that's what, see, I don't trace our lineage back to the Reformation days, but to the apostles. We claim the apostles, while the Pope claims Peter was the Bishop of Rome, which you cannot prove, by the way, which Paul was in Rome, not Peter, right? But he doesn't want to claim Peter or Paul. Why? Well, because that destroys that whole Jewish lineage thing that they, they think they're the synagogue of Satan and they think they replace the Jews. So they think Peter gave them the blessing to replace the Jews. You get that? You following it? That's what they do. Look at their doctrine. That's what they do. They hate Jews. And what does the Pope call himself? He calls himself the king of the Jews. And they had no king but Caesar, right? So they're all working together in that, in that respect to try to take over. How much pleasure it would afford us to read a full description of one of their meetings and copies of the hymns they sang and a sermon or two preached by Peter or Henry and a few extracts from their church books that we might know in what manner they sought to walk and to please God. He said, we'd love to have them. We wish we did. So we could read them, right? Because we always have to read about these other people, right? We always have to read about them. Okay, let's see here. I better stop because the natives are getting restless here. So uh, I'll, I'll stop right here with, uh, and there's, uh, let's see, two more that I'll read next week. Actually, there's a few more that I'll read next week. This one. And, uh, and we'll actually start on the Crusades as well, and we'll talk about them. But there's a few other, uh, there's J.T. Christian had some things to say, and uh, Williams uh, had some things to say a little bit about them and then we'll pick up and we'll, we'll kind of just carry it over to the to the crusades and talk about what happened with the crusades at this time because that's the time that you're in 1100 and that's when the crusades the different there were three different papal crusades well they're still going on but uh, those three in particular that were there and we'll start to talk about some of the crusades that went on and what happened so you understand the battlefield that they were in see they're fighting a spiritual battlefield the Papal Crusades were fighting uh, for the two keys. What are the two keys? Temporal power and spiritual power. Peter's keys, right, to the kingdom. So they, they're fighting for the keys to the kingdom. And the Pope claimed his temporal power and his, and his uh, spiritual power over kings, right? And that's what they were doing. So in other words, the. In order to understand properly what's going on, you need to understand the Crusades. It's important to have a, a little bit of a concept of what was going on because it'll better help you understand the battlefield that these people were in, what they faced. Very difficult, very dangerous times uh, for them. Amen? All right, Father in heaven, Lord, thank you. And Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy upon us and all that you do for us, Lord. And thank you for these faithful witnesses. Help us to be faithful, Father, and lift up the name of Christ wherever we go and in our lives this week to live for you and to serve you. 
and all our ways to acknowledge you. And we know, Lord, you promise you'll direct our paths. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.